With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter 18 of the dubious book of Famous Deeds, the history podcast that looks at the world through the eyes of the Victorians, as told by an 1889 book that I found in an alleyway entitled The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. The men are obscure, the deeds are dubious at best, and is there any deed more dubious than the mass manufacture and popularization of firearms. That's right. We're talking about guns, people. Specifically, the Colt pistol and its inventor, Samuel Colt. This is a pretty wild story about, let's face it, a gun nut. And you know who else is a gun nut? Whoever wrote this chapter. They love it. This contemporary account from the 1800s kind of treats guns not so much as a instrument of violence, more of a wondrous device. Anyways, listen on and you'll see what I mean. And I'm so excited to tell you about my guests for this episode, two really funny gentlemen who have their own fun and funny podcast called Canadian Politics is Boring, in which they unearth and make fun of the weirdest, most bizarre, ridiculous stories all throughout the history of Canadian politics. It's super fun. Go check it out. Please welcome Reese Waters and Jesse Harley. Okay, well, this is great, guys. Let's get into it. Reese, I'm so happy uh, you are, you know, I'm not great with accents, but I'm going to make a guess that you are from England. Is that true? No, I'm Welsh. Welsh. That's like calling a Canadian American. God damn it. I was so close. <laughs> I should have said United Kingdom. I was so close. He hates it. A lot of people don't pick up on the Welsh twang, so. Okay, so yeah, that must have been hurtful. I'm sorry. I'm joking. I was playing up my hurtness. <laughs> Just comic relief more than anything. He's going to go home and cry. But you are so far the closest to the British Empire or the former British Empire that I've had to, uh, to talk to in this podcast. Everyone else has been Canadian or American. Oh, I, d I don't know how that makes me feel, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to talk about Samuel Colt, the inventor of Colt pistols. Oh. Okay. I've heard his name. I don't know anything about him apart from the gun. You're soon going to know everything about him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready to check this out? I'm excited. Are we? Are we? Is this part of the show? Are we recording? This <laughs> Jesse, we're already doing the show. <laughs> I am always like this when I do somebody's podcast. I'm like, have I been supposed to have been charming so far? <laughs> okay, here we go, guys. Colonel Colt and his inventions. Are we gonna put like a like a really ominous sound effect there? Yeah, maybe just a, a pistol shot. <laughs> yes, Ooh. and a man fall into his death. History has failed to record the name of the original inventor of firearms. We're opening very generally. Yeah. Yet, the evidence appears conclusive that the idea was first conceived from the accidental experiment of the monk Schwartz. <laughs> like, like, space balls? <laughs> That's exactly what popped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about uh, Bertolt Schwarz, or Bertolt the Black, a legendary German alchemist from the 14th century who possibly never existed. Between the 15th and 19th centuries, uh, European literature credited him with the accidental invention of gunpowder. Ah, uh, so they're kind of ignoring all, all the history around the rest of the world. Right. Yeah, that's right. We all know this. It originated in China. China yeah, invented yeah. black powder or gunpowder in the ninth century. So, like, there are hundreds. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There was that, there was that, that, that fellow, Wan Hu, tried to launch himself into space as well. 
Um, he's that a tr- oh, that's true. I heard yeah, yeah. that. And nobody ever saw him again. Yeah, that's so excuse me. Did not, what? did not go well. <laughs> what? There was a, there was a, yeah. a, I think, don't know if he was an emperor or a noble, but he, he um, had gunpowder and he basically attached lots of rockets to a chair and try, t- attempted space flight, oh, just sat on this chair. Oh, oh, no. And he went up and nobody yeah. ever saw him again. I'm assuming it was just a really good firework display. Um, <laughs> but, World's first astronaut. Exactly. But yet again, we, we credit the Russians for the first man in space. So. <laughs> When, when did this happen? I don't know, but it was it was definitely before that alchemist guy Schwartz. A- absolutely amazing. <laughs> I marvel at his at his optimism. I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> this will work. This will work. Yeah, yeah. How are you going to come back down safely? I'll I'll work it out when I'm up there. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the first firearm recorded in history is said to be the fire lance. The fire lance. It sounds like that sounds like an alternate name for a lightsaber. It does indeed, and it actually performs a similar function. You would stick a black powder-filled tube onto the end of a spear, and it would be used as a flamethrower of sorts. What? Yeah, you would hold a lance, ignite the black powder, and flames would jut out, hopefully in a, uh, you know, a straight line, but maybe not. I don't know. But it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> That's freak. Are we allowed? Can we swear on your on your show? Is that? Yeah. Yeah? That's fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, where's that LARPing? When did they go out of fashion, though? I don't know. I don't think, you know, it's kind of like fanny packs. How did they ever go out of fashion? They're back now, thank God. <laughs> yeah, Reese loves fanny packs. We don't know why. <laughs> fanny packs have their time and place. Yeah. Uh, I just can't think of one of either right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, neither, yeah. Okay, this is how it always goes on this podcast. That was the first paragraph. Okay, so <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. Okay. The earliest firearms were probably of about the same description as the present cannon, and some of them appear to have been used by Edward III of England in his first campaign against the Scots in 1327. Again, wrong uh, across the board. Yeah, it's just it's just like well, everything started in Europe. The end. So this is a, there's a minor sort of like history of weapons that the author has written here. And soon we're going to get to Colonel Colt. In 1378, the English are said to have used 400 cannon at the siege of St. Malo. But these might have been hand cannons, which were undoubtedly the first form of handguns. Also, just wrong. It was certainly a most (laughs) inefficient and unserviceable contrivance, yet it was a commencement. And in its day was, no doubt, deemed of great advantage to the possessor. Is there a picture? Is there a picture of what it looked like? Or? Sadly, no. Not a single no. picture in this particular chapter, which is sad for a book called The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a descriptive book with no pictures. Are they saying it was like a mini cannon? Because in my head right now, I've got like Bruce Willis, topless, just <laughs> barefoot with his feet bleeding, holding a mini cannon um, and pointing her at people and going, ah! And yeah. that's it. So I think the, the confusion is that at the time, the term cannon was used interchangeably between cannons and guns. So oh, okay. they might have brought one cannon and 399 uh, pistols. So like anything that shot a projectile forward with gunpowder was known at that point as a cannon. Because yeah. that was the only thing that was doing it. And this was just a smaller version of that. So it's just a smaller cannon, really. Oh. Right? Yeah. That makes sense. The first handguns, just for the record, date back to 1288 China. Wow. China, they were way ahead, probably on everything. But completely ignored by this book. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) I would love to think that maybe this was reprinted for a Chinese audience and everyone's like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? (laughs) A separate section on space travel. Yeah, that's right. Again, it is said that handguns or small arms were introduced into England in 1471 when Edward IV, landing at Ravenspur in Yorkshire, brought with him, among other forces, 300 Flemings armed with handguns. After this, they became common. Oh, Flemings, not lemmings. Is there anything more dangerous than a handgun in the hands of the Flemish? I know. It's <laughs> almost, they make it sound like, you know, when they describe like um, like a, an invasive species of like deer or insects, like the, the 300 Flemish 
people with guns arrived and then they just multiplied and bred and they just <laughs> appeared as babies with guns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, that's right. They invaded the ecosystem. Exactly. They, then they had to find yeah. some kind of apex predator above an armed Fleming just to try and reduce the numbers a little bit. <laughs> so. The musket is a Spanish invention and was first used by the tyrannical Duke of Alva in the year 1567. Now, do you think that tyrannical was his own title? Like he would call himself that? Or was do you think that was a nickname that was bestowed upon him later? Like in his like uh thirty word social media bio, it's like tyrannical. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I looked up who this guy was. We're talking about Fernando Alvarez de Toledo y Pimentel, the third Duke of Alba, considered to be one of the most effective generals in military history but also notorious for his tyranny, so says Wikipedia, as governor general of the Netherlands, where he instituted the Council of Troubles, nicknamed the Council of Blood, Jesus. which set aside local laws and condemned thousands of suspected rebels to death. So, yeah, I guess. I guess he was tyrannical. So was he, was he one of those really effective generals because he had such a disregard for human life? It was just like yes, exactly. meat chess. Human yeah, yeah. meat chess. Jesus, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with your I'm, brain? Uh, it's not me, it's him. I'm not the one who's <laughs> just killing people for their no, troubles. You come up with these terms all the time. Human meat chest. <laughs> Jesus. I can tell Reese doesn't uh, condone it, but I can hear that he admires it deeply. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like grenade kaplunk. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Stop. Okay, here's uh, here's where pistols came from. Pistols were first used by the Germans. They appeared in 1544. The German horsemen were called pistoliers. Like a western riding on a horse, firing two handguns at the same time. Yes, yes. Yes. Screaming the over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pistol apparently uh, is differentiated from handguns in that its chamber was integral to the gun barrel. So the chamber where the bullet was was built into the gun barrel as opposed to being something that you load from elsewhere. Uh, I don't know guns. I've never held a gun. Yeah. I'm from the UK. The only people who have guns are farmers and police at airports. Jesse, have you ever handled a, a weapon, a firearm? Uh, I have uh, once, yeah. and it was for my 40th birthday. Ah. Uh, very quick story. My nephew Jackson at the time, uh, he was very young, and I was like, how old are you, Jackson? He's like, I'm seven. I'm like, uh, do you know how old I am? He's like, you're 39, and next month you turn 40, and that's when you turn into a real man. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was blown away. I was like, oh my God, that's where did that come from? So my friends and I decided to have, instead of a, like an over-the-hill party or whatever, mm -hmm. we decided to have a turning into a real man party. And my friend Ryan uh, kind of orchestrated the whole thing. He was going to have me start the day by fighting an MMA champion. Oh, my like, God. Thanks. And it, Jesse had to end <laughs> the day by that, killing like... a man with a gun. This <laughs> yeah, is where the story's right. going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully, the MMA fighter backed down. Thank God. Last minute. And uh, we went and, yeah, fired guns at a gun range. And then we, like, threw axes and played pool and then played poker and drank scotch and it was just an awesome day but yeah that's the day that i i fired a i, just, I wanted to say it was a shotgun i i liked i just remembered i did do clay pigeon shooting or skeet shooting i think it's called here oh all right okay so i'm the only one who's not yet a man in this group that's right yeah, yeah. okay get on it i better get on that God. <laughs> God, i don't want my son to find out that i'm <laughs> not yet a man <laughs> i was being raised by a not full man god i'll be so embarrassed if he becomes a man before i do <laughs> okay here we go so we're getting oh we're getting so close now during the latter part of the last century that, that would be uh the 1700s Many ingenious persons directed their attention to the improvement of firearms with a view to simplify their construction, to render them more effective, and to combine safety with celerity in firing. I'd never heard that word before, celerity. Celerity. Hold on, hold on. Hey Siri, define <laughs> celerity. Celerity is a literary and archaic term it means swiftness of movement. Oh, okay. Now I wish Siri was reading all of this. <laughs> what a pleasant voice. So they want to move like Neo, like in slow motion, swiftly and well-coordinated. If only bullet time was mentioned in this chapter. Or cannon time. <laughs> yeah, cool. cannon time. Oh, we're in cannon time. Just dodging <laughs> balls. <laughs> 
All right, here we go. Now we are finally reaching the life of Samuel Colt. We next meet with repeating firearms, or those with magazines or chambers for several continuous discharges without reloading, i.e. the revolver. Colonel Samuel Colt was born at Hartford, Connecticut on the 19th day of July, 1814. His father, a man of high intelligence, energy, and industry, engaged largely in the fabrication of wool and cotton. His mother, a lady of superior ability, was the daughter of Major John Caldwell of Hartford, a man of great sagacity and perseverance, and who for a long period was extensively engaged in commerce and navigation, and was distinguished as one of the leading merchants of the state. Nobody gets described as industrious anymore. We seem to have lost that word. That's true. I could start calling you that if you want, Reese. Yeah, go on. I want that on my gravestone. He was industrious a bit. <laughs> what does that mean to be industrious? Just like good at good at getting something going? Like uh, I think yeah, like you 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 do things. You guess you get shit done. <laughs> yeah, I just call that busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was a great bio of his mother. Yeah. A real fast rundown of everything uh, her uh, father did. It was great. Yeah, exactly. I love <laughs> defining her by her father and husband. Yes. <laughs> like, well, his mother's name was Sarah, for the record. And her father, so his grandfather, John Caldwell, was a veteran of the American Revolution. Christopher Colt, Samuel Colt's father, was a farmer who got into the textile business. So I guess they had a certain amount of money. Yeah. That was kind of like the Silicon Valley of his day, I guess. Textiles. Yes, textiles, yeah. <laughs> the parental traits, especially those of activity and energy, were eagerly developed in Samuel the Son. At school, he acquired the rudiments of a good English education. That's nice. Uh, that uh, <laughs> got an English education in the United States. Yeah, especially after the revolution. It's good that they, uh, they kept yeah. that bit. They're like, Samuel, why are you writing you in every other word? Stop. Yeah. Why are you just doing Shakespeare most of the time? <laughs> like, <laughs> Ryan, why are you writing with a feather quill? <laughs> <laughs> but preferring active life to sedentary occupation over the horn books, he was transferred at 10 years of age to the factory of his father, where he continued until he was finally sent to Amherst, Massachusetts, for the more thorough improvement of his education. So did his dad have him as an intern? Uh, yeah, well, uh, kind of. They're being generous. It turns out that at age 11, he was indentured to a farmer in Glastonbury. Uh, he didn't go to his dad's factory. Oh, really? he, was, he was sent to work on a farm, which doesn't seem like, you know, his family was in such financial need that they needed to send this child oh. away, you know? Yeah, They're more yeah. like just more like they wanted to send this child away. <laughs> I've right. I've got a, I've got a friend who does outdoor survival in like the mountains in North Wales and he also he's like an expert tracker. If anyone goes missing in the mountains, he, he tracks them down. Um and and he's amazing at what he does, but rich people send him their kids all the time so that he can go into the mountains what? and like live wild and what? track animals and tougher them up. Is it was it like that? Did Why? they want him to become a real man like Jesse tried? <laughs> From what I can tell, he was sent to a farm to do farm work, and that is also where he got his basic school education. But it's there that Colt discovered a book called The Compendium of Knowledge, which was probably the pictorial treasury of famous men and famous deeds of its day. The compendium of all knowledge. Yes. And he, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, in that, he learned about experiments with gunpowder, and these articles motivated Colt for the rest of his entire life. It wasn't until he was 15 that he went back to working in his father's textile plant in Massachusetts. There, referencing the compendium of knowledge, he made his own galvanic cell and attempted to blow up a raft for the 4th of July. <laughs> As you do. Yes. I love the ambition. I, I found this book. You sent me away <laughs> for my internship. I guess he was working for free. Yeah. He just had to get by on the tips. And yep. and then he wanted to make a big splash on his return with everything he'd learned. So <laughs> it's just going to blow up a raft. That's great. So like the mother and father are in the kitchen making, you know, whatever, eating pie. And mom's like, where's Colt? And the father's like, oh, he's down by the dock fucking around with something. I don't know. And then boom. <laughs> yeah. this is Jesus Christ. Christ. Samuel. 
The fuck did you learn on that farm? (laughs) They're going to love the new me. Uh, (laughs) And it was after that that his dad sent him to boarding school. (laughs) (laughs) Always trying to get rid of their kids. Yes. (laughs) It is easy just to send the problem away than deal with it directly. Definitely. You know. Yeah, Should oh, we have yeah. family therapy? No, look, just gonna send you somewhere else. It's somebody else's problem. Way easier in those times, I think. Yeah, exactly. At Amherst, his curiosity was deeply aroused to see distant lands, and upon his own sheer impulse, therefore, without the knowledge of his parents or friends, he ran away to Boston, embarked on board the ship Corlo, and set sail for Calcutta. Cool. Yeah, very cool. They're leaving out a little bit more information here. <laughs> While he was at boarding school in Amherst, he amused his classmates with pyrotechnics. Yes. <laughs> and after another 4th of July related explosion, set fire to the school. <laughs> Colt was expelled. And that is when his father sent him away. <laughs> it's, so, it's so weird that nobody wanted this man. I know. Bizarre. He just sounds like a good time, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's true. At least he's consistent. You know, mm-hmm. he's, it's a definite pattern emerging. Yes. Like, if you're going to hang out with him, you know the trouble you're going to get into. Honestly, I can't imagine that the kid who loves to blow stuff up and create explosions and try and sink things to, like, hundreds of years later for everyone to remember his name attached to a gun. Like oh. He's got to be one of the happiest people who've ever died. I, I would say so, yeah, yeah. So uh, his father sends him away, exactly where you want to put a fire and explosion obsessed teenager, a boat! <laughs> <laughs> Does it have cannons? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. It's a ship bound for Calcutta, and he lives his life there being a, a, a seaman. This is, this is gap year. This is gap year, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking a break from blowing shit up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to go find myself on the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Colt got the idea for his revolver, the idea of a revolving cartridge, while he was on the boat. What inspired him, they say, was watching the sailors use a capstan, which is a vertical-axled rotating machine. It's a huge, horizontal-leveled wheel that you would turn and it would be used for multiplying the pulling force of semen when hauling ropes and cables. So it's this huge thing that you turn a little and it's got a locked notch. So it locks into place Uh. with every set of degrees you turn it, right? And so he saw that and thought, okay, this could work as a smaller thing that you could, you know, use with a trigger to keep turning bullets through a revolver. Always thinking about guns, always thinking about how you can improve them. <laughs> guns on the mind. So yep. so this was like the one where you had to keep pulling the trigger back to reset it, though, wasn't it? It would kind of, they'd shoot and then they'd pull the trigger back and then it would kind of click to the next bullet, I guess. Right. I assume so, yes. I have no idea. But... I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm basically basing this on toy guns that I had as a kid right now. Me too. Cap cap guns. (laughs) (laughs) Despite all of the hardships of the voyage, the youthful exile returned buoyant and determined in spirits as ever. A short apprenticeship, again, in the manufactory. Manufactory? Yeah, that's a word. Okay. The manufactory of his father. I love that. What does that mean? It sounds very industrious. Yeah, it does. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Hey, Siri. (laughs) Define manufactory. <laughs> manufactory is an archaic term. It means a factory. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe there'd be more, but... It's such an anticlimax. <laughs> Siri gets to the point. Siri doesn't mince words. So, he returns to his father's manufactory, in the department particularly of dyeing and bleaching, made him familiarly acquainted with the leading principles in chemistry for which he manifested great fondness and indoctrinated him into many of its most useful, entertaining, and brilliant experiments. That's like really wording up, blowing shit up for a while. Oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I like melting things, I like blowing things up. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> His brief experience in this direction, he turned into instant account. And as a public lecturer on chemistry, he traveled the United States and Her Majesty's Dominion in Canada for about two years. He went to every state and into every town and figuring under the assumed name of Dr. Coult, 
administered more laughing gas to more men, women, and children than any <laughs> other lecturer we dare affirm since chemistry was first known as a science. Hold on, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Is he? Can you back that up? Is this a what? Joker origin story? We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear more about Samuel Colt's weird tour with laughing gas all across North America. It's truly bizarre. And his story only gets stranger after that. We'll be right back after this brief but necessary break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We're back. Okay, so we just heard about Samuel Colt embarking on just a sold-out tour of laughing gas demonstrations. God, I mean, I wish I was alive back then. It would be so much easier to make money as an entertainer. Anyways, let's learn more about Samuel Colt with Reese Waters and Jesse Harley. When Colt returned home, he convinced his father to finance the construction of a rifle and pistol. He's like, I'm going to build and sell these guns but they were both failures. His father refused to finance any more inventions. Get the fuck out of my living room, Samuel. <laughs> Enough with your crazy stories and ideas. So to make some money, taking what he learned from the textile factory, he assembled a portable laboratory and traveled around essentially performing medicine man shows, performing laughing gas demonstrations under the name the celebrated Dr. Coult of New York, London, and Calcutta. Hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I have to. Okay. So he would, please tell me this is, this description is apt. He would travel the country. Uh -huh. He would set up shows where people would come and sit in an audience. That's right. And then I'm guessing he would take an audience member on stage, administer laughing gas to them, and we'd all laugh at that person while that person got high? Like, that's his show? That is exactly right. Sign me up. Where can I find this? I want to watch this. This looks great. <laughs> well, it was a hit. Everyone loved it. <laughs> it's like a very early form of live streaming. Why can't we do this today? <laughs> yeah. Laughing gas isn't illegal. Yeah, yeah. At least we should do this. Well, just... Let's go on a laugh laughing gas tour just just i drug you or you drug me we take turns and for an encore we get somebody else high maybe there's a competition in the audience who gets a competition test who can get the most high <laughs> well that's interesting though because like if you like i'm not talking about like the legality of it or anything like that but like you know we've got some pretty hardcore messed up drugs out there that'll really fuck a person up but what happened to these laughing gas tours? That just sounds like a good time. Honestly, we're like morality and legality be damned. Why aren't people doing that anymore? It's true. It's a good night out. If you're doing it as a show in the 1800s, surely it must be a safe, cool drug to enjoy today. You know, less addictive. Just get a little <laughs> high on laughing gas. Why not? He yet managed by a ready use of such experiments as were dazzling and amusing, and by his dexterity as a manipulator to win a favorable public opinion. It was a hit. And to secure a profit from his entertainments varying from 5 to $50 a night and occasionally reaching several hundreds of dollars in an amount. So he did very well. So he was he was a rock star. Yeah, they're like, I can't wait for this to come back into town. <laughs> Honestly, Reese, we should do this. I don't think laughing gas is illegal, is it? Drugging a random audience member? That can't be illegal. The rules might have changed since the 1800s. <laughs> All of these profits beyond those required for the supply of his daily wants were sedulously devoted by the youthful adventurer to the prosecution of that great invention, which has since extended his renown throughout the civilized world. For, most remarkable indeed, it was upon that voyage, oh, we're talking about Calcutta again, to which we have already alluded, 
which he made as a runaway sailor boy to Calcutta, sent away by his father, and while firing for amusement at porpoises and whales. Oh, that's the other inspiration. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is so, that he was he was shooting whales from the ship and was like, I wish I could dick. I wish I could shoot these faster. <laughs> or imagine if I could make something to shoot people with instead of these giant animals. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Like, I, I, the timeline's all over in this all over the place in this article. We're jumping forwards in time and back. Oh, in time. yeah, I know. This There's is no turning into a, a Tarantino film. Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, the okay. pulp fiction of, of this book. <laughs> so he's shooting whales and porpoises off the Cape of Good Hope and in the Indian seas that he first conceived and wrought out the rude model of that firearm which now, over the whole extent of the civilized world, reports the triumph of his skill and blazes his fame. <laughs> <laughs> this is written really well. Oh, yeah. After much reflection and repeated trials, he effected an arrangement in the construction of revolving firearms. With unwearied assiduity and a confidence which never wavered, though against the vaticinations and dissuasion of numerous relations and friends, he toiled and improved upon... It, f- it feels like they're really trying to impress somebody, whoever wrote this. Yeah, right? Yeah, I know. This was a draft that got sent back and be like, yeah, tone yeah. it down, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, sound, it does sound as well like his family is going, please don't make a really effective killer machine. Please don't do it. <laughs> That's right. Lots of people are going to die if you're successful. <laughs> like millions could die potentially. Please. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm, I've got my heart set on this. Listen, I really... Why are you stamping out my dream? <laughs> I have a dream of making faster, more deadlier guns. You just don't understand me. slams his door puts Nirvana on he toiled and improved upon his pet model until at last he engendered confidence enough in the bosoms of a few capitalists to procure establishment at Patterson, New Jersey of a company for the manufacture of his favorite arm so he manufactured originally over 1,000 revolvers and made no sales whatsoever he made demonstrations in general stores. That probably was alarming. <laughs> Just shooting at tins on a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Five feet away. He made a personal demonstration for President Andrew Jackson, who wrote him a reference letter of sorts, but this didn't help him either. His initial business folded. It wasn't until his revolvers came into the hands of Texas Rangers that the military took interest. They requested changes, like increasing the number of bullets in the cartridge from five to six, and giving the gun enough power to kill a human or horse in a single shot. And once that little wrinkle was ironed out, they bought a thousand guns. Yeah, if you can kill a man and a horse with one shot, or I'm guessing they were two separate occasions. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Good, good. You've made it powerful, but suppose I could kill a man by shooting through a horse. Exactly. <laughs> Go through a lot of horses and men to get this right, so uh, I hope it's right. I hope oh, version God. 15's okay. Now, can you give me a gun that I can kill a man by shooting through a horse, but let the horse live? (laughs) (laughs) Just discomfort the horse a lot. Make it late to dinner. I just want to use my horse as a human shield. (laughs) (laughs) The result was soon manifested in an arm so perfect as to rouse commendation wherever seen. Leading institutes and societies and the journals of the country vied with each other in its praise. Both Colt's pistols and Colt's rifles were eulogized as splendid specimens of ingenuity, as handled with the greatest facility and ease, as firing with astonishing precision, and as sending forth their successive messengers of death with marvelous celerity, force, and effect. These guys fucking love guns. They do. Yeah. It's bloodthirsty. It is. It is. It's kind of like they're trying to like paint it like a work of art. Like it's this great iconic piece of creation that the human mind has come up with. It'll be 
stand the test of time when it's, it's, it's literally just a you point it at someone and you kill them. <laughs> I also love how different it is now because people back there knew inventions, they wrote poems about them and like the, the language is incredible. But now they're like, my iPhone 13 is shit. And, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now we live in the age of disappointment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> people are way more cynical these days. <laughs> so. The prosperity of Colonel Colt, as was his just mead after years of toil, of trial and disappointment, has run on in one limpid, sparkling, and unbroken stream. By contract demands for his arms, he was enabled to transfer his enterprise to Hartford, his own native town, where he has at last succeeded in founding an armory, the most magnificent of its kind. It may be safely alleged in the known world, which incorporates, in building and machinery, a full million of dollars, which gives employment to six to eight hundred men inside the main building, and to numerous hands outside, which dispenses daily in wages alone from one thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, and manufactures year by year from seventy-five to one hundred thousand arms. Wow. It sounds like a nightmare, but... Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, yeah. it's not like all of a sudden, like, it's, I'm just making, it's making me think of cartoons from Pink Floyd's The Wall, of just fucking, like, <laughs> guns and hammers marching out of this like, factory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, went, I just went on the uh, the Colt website, oh. just to take a look, to see how it looked like. And the first thing, I went on the website, and I saw, like, the normal website, and this huge pop-up just came up saying, important safety recall for certain modern sporting <laughs> rifles. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and you got to fill out a form in case you've got a gun that... Uh, under certain conditions, um, it's it's possible that some Colt guns may discharge a second round when the trigger is released. Oh, Jesus. So, oh, boy. It's going well. Going still, well for them. Still some wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still, yeah, it's still a work in progress. So the story of this armory. So he used the money from his sales to the Texas Rangers to build uh, Colt's Patent Firearms Manufacturing Company factory at Hartford in 1848. Uh, the first pistols made there... Uh, became so popular that the word Colt was often uh, used as a generic term for the revolvers. Uh, In 1855, he replaced that factory with the Colt Armory. He also built employee tenement housing and a manor for himself called Armsmere. (laughs) (laughs) What do they call it? Gun house. Yeah. (laughs) I do love it, and I feel that this does come from England, the habit of naming one's houses. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's a big deal in the UK. Oh, you told me that before, Reese. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Oh, let's call it something funny. Um, like, um, like my my parents always wanted to call their house like our last name is Waters. They wanted to call it Waters Edge because they thought that was funny, <laughs> even though we were landlocked. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> so he built Armsmere. He also uh, he established a ten hour workday for employees. Installed. Oh, wash- what a saint! Yeah, in 1848. I mean, that's that's actually pretty progressive. Uh, honestly, probably not the worst. Yeah. Yeah, um, and he only beat no. them three times a day. Exactly. Well, beat with beat with fast-moving bullets. There's probably a lot of summary executions if you showed up late for work, or you were just blown up, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> He installed washing stations in the factory. He mandated a one-hour lunch period. That's nice. And built the Charter Oak Hall, where employees could enjoy games, newspapers, and discussion rooms. So that's kind of, you know, it sounds like an okay, it sounds like one of those work ecosystems, you know what I mean? Like Google would have. Yeah, yeah, there's a slide, you can help yourself to fruit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This armory, uh, Colt's Armory, was the first factory. Oh, yeah, this is another cool thing that he did. Okay. Because he made all of his firearms with interchangeable parts, he was able to make a successful use of the uh, concept of the assembly line. Ah. He was the first one to do that successfully. Pre-Ford. Really? Yes. Pre-Ford. Yeah, that's right. Pre-Ford. I mean, I don't think there was a conveyor belt, but- Now, this is all coming from a book of lies, so who knows if this is true or not. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Well, (laughs) Wikipedia backed it up, but that's a site of lies, so who knows? Right. (laughs) The result is the fruits of a market for arms. 
not confined to the United States, but extending over both the Americas, more or less to the Indies, East and West, to Egypt, even to distant Australia, to remote Asiatic tribes assembled at the great fairs of Novograd, and over Europe generally, but especially to England. Here, the arms of Colonel Colt, first introduced in splendid style through the World's Fair, were warmly welcomed and led to the speedy establishment in London of an extensive armory for their manufacturer, and to their rapid adoption into the British Army and Naval Service. We're talking about the Great Exhibition of 1851. Loved it. It was great. It was a good one, yeah. It was. I should look uh, at the program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got a t-shirt. <laughs> that's where t-shirt cannons were invented. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was Colt's contribution to fairs everywhere around the world. <laughs> Free t-shirts. But his could kill a horse with a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that was his demonstration, too. Yeah. <laughs> Three times a day for two weeks. <laughs> Bring out your lame horses. Come back with a T-shirt. The other thing that Colt was known for was his uh, innovations in marketing. Uh, for example, he would give demonstrations, right? He, obviously, he learned that from his laughing gas tour. And he would give demonstrations at this great exhibition. Uh, at Crystal Palace, I guess, where he would disassemble 10 of his guns, mix up the pieces, and then put them back together because they were all interchangeable parts. Ah. That's actually kind of cool. I thought he was going to mix laughing gas with guns. Oh, man. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure he did. That was probably Amazing. Sunday for him. He gave custom engraved revolvers to heads of states and celebrities, predating the concept of influencers by over 150 years. The Kardashian cult. Yes. <laughs> He originated product placement, commissioning artists to create paintings depicting exotic scenes in which a cult weapon was prominently used against animals, bandits, or the indigenous people of North America. Wow. So with the mass production and sales of his guns frequently sold to both sides of wars, including the American Civil War, Colt eventually became one of the wealthiest people in America. Okay, now we're in the tail end here. This is my, honestly my favorite part of this chapter. Oh my god, it gets better. It is not only in the Department of Arms that Colonel Colt's mechanical genius has displayed itself. He also invented an apparatus for blowing up vessels and for coast and harbor defense. We're back to blowing things up, baby. Ah, <laughs> oh, his greatest hits. Specifically ships, things in the ocean. He wants to kill whales and ships and... Oh, that's well, right, like, yeah. yeah. Is, oh, I wish he right? probably Dolphins, was like, if porpoises? I could only catch a whale for this. Yeah. Yeah. He just, <laughs> the, the, the idea that things can float confuses him, so he must destroy all that floats. So, what did he do? He worked with Samuel Morse. Of Morse code? Yes, that's right, of Morse code. To design and sell underwater electrical detonators for mines so it was all about getting into the business of blowing up boats from far away his ever ready ingenuity was applied to the construction of a submarine battery which was to be exploded by the operator while sitting securely at any distance from the object to be demolished and was to be of force enough to blow even the largest man of war with all her crew and armament Sky high. His first experiment (laughs) in this connection was made upon a craft called the Boxer in New York Harbor in the presence of many thousands of spectators. It was completely successful. Colonel Colt, from on board the United States ship North Carolina, applied his power, and the doomed Hulk, with a tremendous explosion, was thrown into the air and shattered into fragments. Just like wow. that guy from uh, China. <laughs> but like on a much bigger scale. Yes. Wow. Um, he must, that must have been the happiest day of his life. Oh. You're absolutely right. Like, if you were to make a movie about Samuel Colt now, like, in that moment, watching that ship, it would have, like, the hard cut to his childhood moment of blowing up that raft, hard <laughs> cut to 4th of July in the school, and then cut back to him. He walked away from explosions in slow motion so many times in his life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just a big montage. With whale meat, like, raining down all around him. His 
second experiment was made in the Channel of the Potomac, opposite the arsenal at Washington, in the presence of the President of the United States. Colonel Colt was at this time at Alexandria, five miles distance. Five miles? That's incredible. Like, that's, that's five miles of wire. Wow. To be laid to detonate a ship. Five miles distant from the point which was to be the scene of destruction. And at the appointed signal, the doomed Volta, a schooner of about 60 tons, was seen flying in, and here's a quote from an eyewitness, in millions of atoms into the air. Not in fragments, but in atoms, says an eyewitness. The particles returned to the bosom of the waters. No two pieces of board remained together. It was not annihilation, but atomization. <laughs> so he turned a boat into gas. Is that what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just disappeared. Like, what? <laughs> 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 oh, my God. I absolutely love that quote. My favorite quote of all time. <laughs> <laughs> These experiments, and some others on a minor scale, made in the waters of New York and elsewhere, created a general opinion that this new invention of Colonel Colt's, if it could only be always applied with certainty, such as he had himself manifested in its application, would be a wonderful improvement in the art of war. Let's kill dun, more people. Dun, dun. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Yay. Wow. That's it. That's the chapter. I love the idea that the whole revolutionizing handguns and, and revolvers was just a, a side project to fund his hatred of floaty things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like Coppola only making movies so he can make a winery in California. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was brilliant, Paul. I love that story. Oh, yeah. Well, this here is a couple of epilogues. He only lived to 47 years old. He died of gout a full decade before his company's most enduring product, the Colt 45, ever oh, wow. appeared. Of course, the Colt company still exists today, owned by a Czech holding company, and sells pistols, revolvers, handguns, rifles, AR-15s, you name it, they've got it. No. Yeah. Here's one last thing that I, I looked up because I was like, hold on a second. He's a colonel, but it doesn't say anything about him being in any kind of army or war. So was Colonel Colt a colonel? Not really. <laughs> uh, because he sold 2,000 revolvers to the Confederate Army during the Civil War, and because he planned to build uh, an armory in the South, Northern newspapers like the New York Times branded him as a Southern sympathizer and traitor. And in a PR move to combat that perception, Colt was commissioned as a colonel by the state of Connecticut and intended to lead a unit of men all over six feet tall for some reason, all armed with cold <laughs> no revolving rifles. No short, no short people, please. <laughs> of course, that never happened, and Colt was later discharged. So he was uh -huh. a. It's like an honorary degree. Yes, he was. He was, he was like that's amazing. He was a colonel, yeah. the same way Colonel Sanders is a colonel. I think. Right. Yeah. He just commands chickens. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Colt commands whales to die. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Do as I say, or I'll blow you up. Exactly. <laughs> Not once has he gotten a single whale to obey him. He did explode thirty-seven of them in his time. He's like uh, a shit. Well, I was going to say a shit Aquaman, but the bottle's already quite low. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this was great, guys. Yeah, thank you for having us. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks for having us on your show. It was really fun. Oh, a I, pleasure. I, I, I think I may have learned something, although... It, it'll be like, it'll be gone in a day. Trust me. It'll, right. <laughs> it'll all be new again when you listen to the episode. Reese and Jesse, uh, thanks for being on this podcast. Tell me about your podcasts. Well, yeah, we've got a, a lovely little ditty of a podcast called Canadian Politics is Boring. I'm usually the one who tells the story, but Reese, why don't you tell the story? Okay, yeah, it's, it's a Welsh immigrant trying to learn about Canadian politics, one lesson ahead of an apathetic Canadian. So that's me. And, and the, the, the title's <laughs> ironic. We don't just we're nearly at two hundred episodes, and we do look for the weird, shocking, surprising stories of Canadian politics to prove that it it isn't boring. It's just play on words. It's a trick. <laughs> I love that we have to explain the irony in our title. I. <laughs> 
There really are some incredible stories. <laughs> I listened to the one about Trudeau traveling the country by train, just being... Oh, the cocaine mystery train! Being bombarded <laughs> by food wherever he went. <laughs> so, yeah, how, how do you come across as, as down-to-earth during a recession? I know, I'll, I'll tour the country in a private train. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Those are so expensive. Such a fun episode. <laughs> uh. So, dear listener, if you, if you enjoyed having us in your ear holes... Uh, uh, we'd love to have you come over and join us at Canadian Politics is Boring. We recently recorded the Cocaine Mystery Train show, uh, which is not the cocaine and the mystery has nothing to do with it. It's just made up. <laughs> You'll have to listen to the episode to find out where that came from. But, uh, yeah, come on over to Canadian Politics is Boring, wherever you can find your podcasts. There we go. Thanks, Sales Paul. pitch out. Well yeah. pitched. It's a great podcast. So, yes, please do check it out. Thanks, man. Really fun to listen to. And we really hope to come back on this show because this show is awesome. And oh, yeah. this is a lot of fun. We'd love yeah. to have you back. Yes, perfect. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank Jesse and Reese for joining me on this podcast. Truly, a lot of fun talking to them. You can find their podcast, Canadian Politics is Boring, wherever you get podcasts. You understand how this works. You can also find them on Twitter at CPB Podcast or on Instagram at Canadian Politics is Boring. That's our episode for this week. If you like the show, give it a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the show on Twitter at Famous Deeds or on Instagram at Famous.Deeds. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Batesbot9000. It's mostly pictures of my dog. Check out thesonarnetwork.com for more amazing podcasts. And what else? Oh, right. Next episode. It's Horatio Nelson, baby. He was a master and a commander, kicked Napoleon's ass, lost an arm, lost his teeth, but didn't lose his dignity. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. You should have seen the way he died. Horatio Nelson, next week. Until then, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 